Um, my name is Laura King, and I serve on the worship team here. And I want to read for you the passage that Josh is going to be te teaching out of today. Uh, it is also printed in your bulletin if you want to read along. Uh, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Thanks, Laura. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor of Community Life, and it's my privilege to be able to continue on on our study of the book of Luke. Uh, we are, have entitled our, this series, Jesus, God, and Man, because we're exploring the deep truths that God the Son came to take on flesh and be as we are and to experience life as we do. You think about it. Jesus came and took on flesh. What that means is that he denied the free use of his divine powers. So at any point when Jesus would do a miracle, he had to call on God the Father who would send the Spirit to empower Jesus to perform a miracle. Jesus did not become less than God, but he added to himself by taking on flesh. He was both God and man. And we see in Luke chapter 4 that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And this, after this, would inaugurate and kick off his earthly ministry. But what we learn from this passage I want to share with you before we get into it is this. Following Jesus requires self-denial. Following Jesus requires self-denial. Well, let's pray as we look at this beautiful, wonderful passage of Scripture this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Son. He was willing to come to leave the Father's side in all of his glory and majesty to come and take on flesh as we ex and experience life as we experience life. Lord, there's so much to that, and we thank you that you were willing to do that. Lord, why would you? We have no idea, but you were, so we praise you. And this morning, would you give us a fresh picture, a clearer understanding of the goodness and strength of your Son, so that we can live according to 
the power that he had in the wilderness, which is the Holy Spirit. So help us to do that as we look at your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Satan tempts Jesus to do three different things. First is to miraculously turn stone into bread. The second is to bow to Satan in order for Satan to give over to Jesus all of his, uh, Satan's authority and uh, glory over the nations. And the third is to make a public exhibition of God's protection by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. Now, there's a strange thing about these this, this, uh, uh, three temptations. Is that God would have Jesus do some of these very things later in his ministry. You see, in Luke 1, <clears throat> Jesus was promised that his kingdom would have no end. In Luke 3, Jesus already has been publicly and miraculously, supernaturally glorified in front of many people. And then a mere five chapters later, Jesus would multiply loaves. The little boy brings some fish and he'd multiply loaves over and over again miraculously. So that begs the question, why would Satan want Jesus to do miracles that Jesus would soon do or had already done? Well, Satan knows something that we too often forget. It's that this is this. Sin is not necessarily the act of something, but it's often the path you take to get there. Sin is not always doing this or that. It's the heart disposition of our obedience to God. So here Satan is doing everything he can for, the, uh, for Jesus to reject his earthly ministry, his incarnation. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to use his divine powers to serve himself. Well, Jesus is not having any of that. So let's look at the first temptation together. So here's Jesus. Scripture says he was twice led by the Spirit. The Spirit is in this time. He was led into the wilderness. You'll see a picture on the screen. Uh, to be tempted tempted by Satan himself. And now, when you think of wilderness in the U.S., when you think of like beautiful Yellowstone, this is not a pleasant uh, place you'd want a vacation. It's barren. It's a wasteland, so to speak. And Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. 40 days. He is literally starving. I mean, some of us, if we miss our mid-afternoon snack, we're like hangry when we get home. 40 days of no food. And so here's the devil, and he says this. If you are the son of God, if, command this stone to become bread. So here's Satan is questioning the father's provision. See, being hungry was a brand new experience for the son of God, right? From all eternity past, Jesus was at the Father's side in all glory and all power. He didn't need food. He didn't need water. He didn't need clothes. He was God the Son, but he's, actually, he's been obedient to the Father to come to earth and live as we live. So here's Satan saying, hey, hey, look, if you're really the Son of God, God wants, you, wants to provide for your needs. Go ahead. Use those powers to serve yourself. So what's the, and what's the big deal? If Jesus would soon do this, what's going on here? Well, if Jesus throughout his life 
at any point that he was hungry, if he could just pick up a rock, toss it up, and a bagel, right, would land in his other hand. Or say if he needs money, he'd just snap his finger and a pot of gold would, would uh, uh, magically appear. Or say he wanted to had to walk through the wilderness if he just kind of clicked his heels and boom, he was... Like, that's not the experience that you and I experience whatsoever. See, every day we have to rely on God our Father to provide for our every need. And that's what Jesus had to experience in order for you and I to have someone to pray to who knows what it's like. And ultimately, the will of the Father was for Jesus to experience life just as you and me. And if he just made bread and, and at any moment he, he would want, he could not accomplish the will of the Father. So here Jesus responds to Satan in this way. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, and he humbled you, talking about the Israelites, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, God has promised to provide for the son and he has promised to provide for you, but the father's provision is often painful. The father's provision is often painful. And God wants, us to, wants to provide for our, our, our material needs, but even more so, he wants to provide for your spiritual needs. He wants to make you into someone more beautiful, more wonderful, more loving, more peaceful, more kind than you could even imagine. So what he does is he gives us situations that can often cause pain in our lives. That could be a dysfunctional marriage or a wayward child. That could be unmet needs and unmet expectations. But God uses those situations to make you more in the image of his son. You know, for a number of years, I was the pastor of young adults here. So I met with a lot of uh, singles and they would uh, share with me that they, some of them had a deep heart desire to be married, but God wasn't providing a significant other um, in their timing. And then, but then in God's timing and grace, they did provide a significant other, and now they're married, and, and now they're praying for their marriage. <laughs> Lord, help me endure this affliction, right? It's not, not all of them, <clears throat> not all of them. Um, but you know if you're married, it could be, like you could have no buyer's remorse, but still it could be a very painful situation. Well, God gives us those. He brings us there. He provides us with that pain to remind us that man does not live on bread alone, on marriage alone, on happy kids alone, on a successful, a successful career alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, it's interesting where um, in that Luke 9 passage where Jesus multiplies loaves. So here it is. All these people come to hear Jesus speak, huge crowds. No one's got food. The little boy brings the loaves and the fishes. And there Jesus multiplies loaves. And people eat their fill. And then there's 12 basketfuls left over. And people are thinking, I like this guy, right? I'll just follow him around and have all my needs met. But it is immediately after that, uh, that miracle that we find these penetrating words from Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says this, If anyone 
would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, Jesus wasn't about to pretend that following him was some uh, uh, painless, continual buffet where Jesus would just, just hand out all the needs that they would have. No, no. Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be painful. You're going to have to carry a cross. See, God's provision is often painful. Well, let's look at that second temptation. You know, this temptation is a little odd. Um, it, you know, if I was, you know, okay, if I was Satan, right, I wouldn't try to uh, tempt Jesus to bow to me. Like, that seems to be like the grand slam temptation. You wouldn't you think like you would tempt Jesus to like, uh, lust or have greed or something. So what's going on here? He's, he's tempting Jesus to bow to Satan. So, so, and, and if Jesus does, the devil would give over all the devil's authority and rule of the kingdoms of the earth. What's going on here? Well, Satan is questioning the Father's path. He's questioning the Father's path. You see, Jesus knows that he will have all honor and glory. He was, it was prophesied that in Luke 1. He knows it's going to happen, but the path to that honor and the path to that glory, oh, it's so humbling. Right? You imagine Jesus, always at the Father's side, sent to earth, not to be born in the king's palace, but to be born most likely a carved out piece of rock where animals would stay. And he was born to a teenager, teenage mother in a working class family. And after he was born, he was put in a food trough. And immediately after his birth, his family would have to flee to Egypt as political refugees. And then eventually they'd make it back to their hometown and Jesus would become a renowned doctor. No, no, no. He would be a working class guy building stuff with his bare hands and dealing with uh, un. Uh, Customers who you just can't please, right? The guys that work in the trades know exactly what that's about. And he would constantly have to work and strive to have his needs met. He did not live in a big house. He did not experience luxury. But his path was difficult. It was painful. It was humbling. So Jesus was saying, look, we know you're going to get to this end point. We know you're going to have all the authority in the world. Why not cut some corners? Why not bow before me and you bow to me and I'll bow out and it's all yours? Look, Jesus wouldn't have anything, anything with that. He says this, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What Jesus is saying is this. Yeah, okay, your path, Satan, may be quicker, more efficient, uh, it's certainly easier, but I will trust in my father's path that he has laid out for me, even though it is incredibly humbling. You know, theologian Daryl Bach, I think says it well in his commentary to, on, the, on Luke. He says, in fact, when God is obeyed in compliance to the spirit, Satan can be resisted. Nonetheless, one should note that the road of resisting temptation is not always the easiest, <laughs> is not uh, the most obvious road to take. In fact, it often means self-denial. You see, God's path is often 
humbling. And I can say this without any reservation, a faithful life to Christ is not the most expedient way to receive power and authority in our world. Some of the most powerful people, the most wealthiest, uh, some of the celebrities that we revere so much, many of them receive their power and authority by nefarious means, by, in a sense, bowing to Satan. And if you follow the path of Christ and you're faithful to his calling, it most likely will be harder for you to climb the corporate ladder or to climb the social ladder or to receive authority and prominence in this world. It may, your path may be more humbling than you can imagine. But if God does raise you to a place of great influence and authority, you will be ready to be there, where you will use your power and authority to help the weak, to love your neighbor, to be someone who draws other people up, not pushes them down. But that path to get there is often extremely humbling. Well, let's look at the final temptation. So here we have Satan. He takes Jesus to the top of the temple, and you'll see a picture of it on the screen. He takes it to the very precipice and says, if you are the son of God, show your special position before God. Exhibit to everyone that you are the son of God. Make it all public right now. And he's tempting Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and miraculously be saved so that everyone bringing their sacrifices and worshiping in the temple would be struck that, oh, wow, this is the coming Messiah. This is the savior of the world. And Satan even quotes scripture. He quotes from Psalm 91. He says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. What's the big deal, Jesus? It's even in the Bible. Show yourself. Cast away the Father's plan. Show yourself to be who you really are. I want us to imagine this scene. Okay, so here's the temple. And Jesus is on top of the temple. And it's, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people milling about, bringing goats and pigeons. They have cages and leashes to offer sacrifice at the temple so that God would cover over their sins. And here's Jesus being tempted by Satan. Hey, show yourself before everyone that you are God. And he quotes scripture. <laughs> well, see, S- Satan doesn't know something that Jesus does. You know, we don't, we don't know this for sure. Can I imagine? Here's, here's Jesus. He's standing on the top of the temple. And he looks at these people who has a burning heart for to see them saved. And then he sees a path outside the wall that goes up to a hill. And we know from excavation that from the top of the temple, only 300 yards away is the hill of Calvary, where Jesus knew that he would have to drag a cross out of the city, and he would be put on that cross, and he would have nails driven through his hands and through his feet, the excruciating pain that that must be. 
And then he would be stripped bare, put a crown of thorns on his head. And over the top of the, the, the cross, here is the Lord, the Savior. And people would spit on him and they would mock him as he is dying for the sins of the world. You see, at that moment, maybe Jesus was tempted. Well, well maybe, I, maybe I won't follow the Father's path. Maybe I will just get it done here so I don't have to go to the hill of Calvary. No. He didn't believe that for a moment. Rather, Jesus looked his crucifixion in the face and said, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And it's amazing. I think Jesus knew his Bible too well to be tempted. See, Satan quotes uh, uh, Psalm 91, verse 11 through 12, but he hosts so strategically cuts off at verse 12. Let's read verse 13. He says, you, who's, who's the psalmist talking about? He's talking about Jesus. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And at that moment, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. God's plan is difficult, it's unknown, it's dangerous, it's painful, it's, and it's even excruciating. And that might be the plan of God in your life. Well, what's the result? Let's keep reading in Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he holds me fast in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see, God's provision, it's often painful. God's path is often humbling, but God's plan is always salvation. God's plan for God the Son was to come and die for you, not for Jesus. He's already been proven. He was God Almighty, but he has come to die for you and for me. And he has promised to give us new life. It's a fearful thing to trust in the Father's plan, especially when we know the plan will lead us through some of the most difficult seasons and difficult experiences of our lives. But God has promised us when we walk his plan, our lives will always end in salvation and renewal and life everlasting and you will become a person like Christ who gives their life in amazing ways and God uses to bless hundreds of people around you. I tell you what, that's a life worth living for. That's a, a path worth denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following him. You know, it's been uh, just wonderful going through this passage uh, this last few weeks because it's so applicable to my own life. I, I, I've just felt over and over again the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin. And I think this passage, ch passage changes the way we view so many things, of the value of Scripture and resisting temptation. But I think even more so, 
It changes the way we view our own lives. See, and I'll say in our culture, and I'll speak specifically for those who are 40 and under. I'm, I'm 34. You know, there is an inordinate emphasis that I've seen in embracing every bit of our natural propensities and personality and internal wiring. You know, it, it, it's, 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 um, the story goes like this. You know, hey, if I, if I want to do something, then that means I should do it. But if I don't have the personality or the preference or internal wiring for something, then that just means that I shouldn't do that. Or if something unnecessarily impedes my life and the goals of my life, I should probably not do that. And I think that mindset bleeds into American Christianity. I think the story goes like this for us. Hey, God has given me personality and a preference and an internal wiring. And God wants me to have a fulfilled life, right? Through pursuing my God-given preferences and personality. And the goal of the Christian life is to find ways for me to use these things that are part of who I am. And those ways are usually my job or my family or my friends or my interests. Let me try to illustrate this. So this is my, this is my iPhone. I think so often uh, we view our lives like this iPhone, a you know, beautiful device, works great, but we have a cracked screen. You know, I dropped my phone about a year ago, I had to get a new screen. So I think that we look at our lives and the, the screen's cracked, but everything else works and it can kind of function okay, but we really can't get the most out of it with a cracked screen. So what God does, he sends Jesus to give us a new screen so that we can take back our, our phone and use it as it's originally designed to, to be used. But I'll tell you this, that is not the teaching of Jesus Christ. Rather, I think it's more like this. See, yes, we have a cracked screen, but we have a virus that has scrambled everything within this phone. That when we push the home button, it goes somewhere else. All of our apps, none of them work. And is, this device can't be used in any way without Christ coming to totally reset our operating system. And what he does, he comes to give us a brand new operating system, what scripture calls a brand new heart, so that we actually become how he designed us to be. And once he has restored our life, the phone goes to him and he uses it however he chooses. I think another illustration to think of it is this way. You know, we're a, a small sapling. We're, we're a, a small fruit tree that God finds. and He, he waters, he fertilizes us, he, he, he allows us to grow and we grow and we're strengthened. And he might prune us a little bit, but then we get strong and we begin to produce fruit. And that fruit is used to help other people. Then everyone comes around that tree, eats of the fruit and says, wow, what a beautiful planting that of the Lord that God has provided. Now that may be the story of your life. Or God could grow us up to cut us down and build from us a cross. And we must respond 
like Job responded in the Old Testament, who says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That is the call of Christ. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, I know that, this, that, that a false mindset, it can creep into our lives because it has crept into my life. There was an important decision I needed to make about a month ago. And I found myself thinking this way. Now, would I want to do that? Now, w- w- would this lend itself to my natural abilities or my schedule? Or what would the benefit be? What would the future benefit to be to me if I did this activity? And man, I felt the Holy Spirit conviction so strongly. And he said, now, now who's the Lord here? Who, who's God? Who owns you? And, and who's the servant? And I had to confess to the Lord, forgive me. Lord, use me in any way you would choose. You know, it reminded me of a great passage in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor during the Nazi occupation of Germany, and he was later killed by the Nazis. And this is a, this is a beautiful quote you'll see on the screen. It says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, God does something with our lives that's painful, that's humbling, but is glorious. I mean, I think of stories in our very own community that don't make sense, but bring us to tears. And we, I know, I feel like, Lord, I want to be like that person. I, I, I think of the, the Wolfenbarger family. Eric and, and Ginny, they had two beautiful uh, uh, children, biological children, wonderful family. And they were impressed by God to begin the process to adopt four children all throughout the world, from different countries throughout the world, a number of whom have severe special needs and who will require care for the rest of their lives. If their focus of their life is to meet their own needs and pursue their own desires, they would never do something so beautiful. When I think of the Monday morning men's prayer group, 
You know, those prayer cards that you fill out, there's a group of men that come every morning from noon to two and pray for you and pray over those prayer cards. And those men, one of them has severe Parkinson's. One has MS. One is a paraplegic. One is recovering from stage four cancer. One lost his job of 37 years with the same company just a few years ago. And, and one's Pastor Dale. <clears throat> but these men, many of whom are in the retirement season of life, where they could say, I should be in Florida. I should be playing golf in Myrtle Beach. This should be the time where I could kick back. I've worked my whole life and enjoy my life for a moment. No. Instead, they are choosing to devote their time to going on their face in prayer for your child, for your marriage, for your provision, and for whatever else you want to bring to us on Monday mornings. If their purpose was to pursue their own desires and, and, and live out their natural propensities, they would just shake their fist at God. But instead, they come to the Lord in prayer, humbly, and pray for you and for me. And I think of our missionaries in Pearl Island, T and K. You know, if you were a fly on the wall of my home, you would hear Deborah and I complain that we don't have family in the area to help us with the kids, to give us some free date nights. Well, these TNK, these missionaries, they have kids the exact same age as we do. And they felt called by God to go on the other side of the world. Look, they don't have family on their half of the globe. And if their focus was to raise happy children, have an easy life, to pursue whatever uh, interest they may find, they would never go to a place so as difficult as they have gone so simply so that people could hear the message that Jesus loves them. It just doesn't make sense, but it's glorious. And I think of the hundreds of people who are going to be here Friday and give of their time I think of the anonymous checks that have been sent in to provide a wonderful prom night experience with those with special needs. Why would someone devote their time to a group of people that the world says is not up to snuff? No, no, no. We believe that everyone is born in the image of God and everyone has equal value in the eyes of Christ. And one way we do that we come together and we celebrate the image of God and even in those who are, whose bodies are most broken because of sin. What is it in your life that you've been grabbing onto and you just won't let go that Jesus says, if you trust me, if you trust me and you let go of that one thing, your life will be hard your life will be humbling, but it will be glorious. What is that thing? Well, in a moment, the, the band's going to come out. I'm going to give you some time to pray, to ask the Lord, what do, you want, what do you want me to do with your call to deny yourself, deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow Jesus? What do you want me to do with that truth? And I think before we conclude the message, I know many of you are asking, well, okay, 
what do I do? <laughs> How do I move from here to there? I have no idea where to start. Well, I'll encourage you to start with the model that we find here in Luke 4. Daily, daily, read your Bible and study. See, Jesus didn't have the, the, the Bible just downloaded him, into his brain just like we don't. He had to study the Word. Daily, study the Word. Fast from food. <laughs> Fast from food. Devote yourselves to a day of saying, I'm not going to eat. If you're able to, obviously, there are certain physical situations where I don't recommend that. But if you're able to, fast for a day and see how God will use the little bit of pain of hunger to draw you into a season of deeper and more intimate prayer life. Uh, prayer life. Serve others. Devote yourself to service. Give your resources for the ministry and for the poor. Share the gospel with those who do not know. These are simple steps. You know, Jesus was very judicious with his words. So when he put in there, take up your cross daily, there's something about it. So my encouragement to you in these next few moments, Lord, what do you want me to do daily so that I can follow along the path you have for my life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, for the work of your son in his life, your work of your son on the cross. Thank you that he resisted the devil where Adam couldn't. He resisted his flesh where Moses couldn't. He was faithful to your plan where Israel couldn't. And now we can trust in him to come through when nobody else can. So Lord, lead us and guide us to that next step of how we can carry our cross daily.